scripture reading today is found in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all the armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against ru- evil rulers and authorities of, uns- of, an, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and again evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to be able to resist the enemy, still be standing firm. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. My turn, huh? <laughs> Pass them out, yeah. So we're passing out a scripture list because uh, there's going to be a lot of scriptures today, which is interesting for me because I don't usually do many scriptures, but we're doing a bunch. So uh, we pass them out like one to a family. Uh, we printed up like 40 of them. But uh, happy to have those in your hands. Um, my name is Jim Clifford. Uh, know many of you over the years. I was just reflecting back on when our family first moved to this area in 1988. And I think the first people we met was over at the Auburn Church with Randy and Annette. And I was thinking about how old I was at that time. I was like 34. And my daughter is now older than I was at that time. So a generation has passed. I guess that makes me feel old because that means I'm the next one to go, right? But we are very thankful that no matter how old we are, God's promises are sure. And that is worth everything. So, Teresa and I, this is our 11th anniversary today. So, we, uh, we knew each other in high school. We both married somebody else due to various things that happened in our lives. Her husband died of cancer. My wife died as a result of an auto accident. We got together. So, I'm very happy to be with you here today. If you are visiting today, welcome. And if, and if you're a member here, we're glad you're here, too. Do you know there's some people living in our country who haven't heard Bible stories like Joseph, Jonah, Noah, and Daniel in the lion's den? Believe it or not, there's some children living in our world today who have heard of the Jonas brothers, but they've never heard of Jonah and the whale. Isn't that sad? Well, today we're going to study a story that you all know, you've all heard, I believe, and that is Daniel in the lion's den. Now, that has prophetic implications, and maybe you have not heard these emphasized so much, so that way it's going to be a new story to you. But God does not leave us without his counsel, without his guidance, and without his protection. Praise him for that. Great stories connected to their prophetic implications, Daniel in the lion's den. So let's run through the story, see what we can learn. I'm sure you've heard it before, but we're going through it again with new eyes today. So let's turn in our Bibles to Daniel 6. Daniel 6. You'll notice that is not on that sheet. All the rest are. But Daniel 6 is where our main emphasis is going to be. We'll be jumping around from there. So Daniel 6, verses 1 and 2 says, It pleased Darius. And you ever wondered about the name Darius? 
A lot of biblical scholars think that actually was more like a title than his actual name, and so that's why you'll hear you know, the king with different names and things like that. But it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. So these are like your regional mayors, governors, those type of things. And there was three governors over those, and whom Daniel was one of those three, that the satraps might give account of them so that the king would suffer no loss. Today, we'd probably just say, so that the kingdom may run smoothly. So Darius appoints these overseers to make sure they're watching over everything, taking care of things. The king doesn't suffer loss, and the kingdom does well. And then according to verse 3, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Wow, this would be a big promotion says a lot. He had exceptional qualities. Daniel was God's ambassador there in that kingdom. He not only survived Babylon, but now he goes on to the next kingdom, Medo-Persia, and God continues to bless in his life. It makes some of the leaders angry that the king was going to put Daniel over them or that he was already over them. They didn't like that. Daniel was a foreigner. He was not one of them. So we know he's a Jew, right? So he's not born, he didn't go to their same schools and all that, he came from a different place, and maybe he couldn't even talk their language that great in the beginning, he probably learned it well as time went along, but you think about the implications of that, and now you're going to have this foreign guy that wasn't part of us, wasn't raised with us, he's going to be elevated to over everybody else, be second in charge. So verse 4, this is the NIV, says it this way, The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They wanted to find something against him. Surely he must have a weakness. There must be something that they can find in the current version of politics that we're living in. Doesn't everybody try to find some dirt to bring up on their opponents? Well, they were trying to find some dirt to bring up on Daniel, and they were not successful. The Bible tells us they were unable to find anything. So Daniel was careful. He was honest in his work. He was a good administrator. He was also trustworthy. So the king puts a lot of trust of him, kind of like Joseph and Potiphar in Egypt. The other leaders didn't like it, those around him. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning what? The law of his God, his religious faith. They figured out that Daniel's weakness was that he loved Jehovah God and he was going to be obedient and faithful no matter what. So the governors and the satraps joined together against Daniel. Verse 6 and 7, so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said this to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Hmm, they come up with a plan. Nobody can worship or pray to anyone except the king for 30 days. They presented us, this is flattering to you, king, we love you, we want to just honor you. The king's ego is flattered, 
And the Bible says that he signed the decree into law. Verses 8 and 9. O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter or be repealed. And then King Darius did what? He signed it. Signed it into law. Well, he thought it was a good thing. Initially, infallibility was built into their legal system and the minds of the conspirators. It was a foolproof plan. There was no way it could go wrong. Daniel would go ahead and pray because he was always faithful. To the lion's den he would go. And they would be rid of it. The Lord says in Psalm 127, verse 1, and this is on your paper, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Amen. Why it never entered into their minds of these conspirators that Daniel could survive the lion's den. For them, that was not a possibility. People didn't do that. Watch out. Daniel's going to surprise them. Psalm 64, verses 1 through 10. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? The Bible gives us many verses like this. And now back to Daniel. Verse, oh, excuse me, we're still in Psalms. They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Well, in Daniel's case, they had a shrewd scheme. They had pushed it through. They had gotten the king to sign off on it. And David continues, both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded, so he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. And that certainly applies to our story today. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God will stop all that from happening to you if you're faithful to him. And then Psalms backs it up and says, God will laugh at those who plot against you. 2 verse 4, there's a promise after promise that God will take care of us. Isaiah 43, 1 to 2. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. Then he goes into specifics of details, and we probably all know this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame scorch you over and over and over again god promised to be with us to the end no matter what comes amen back to daniel 6 and this is verse 10 now when daniel learned or knew that the writing was signed he went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards jerusalem he knelt on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his god as his custom was since early days 
He could have left his windows closed and said, well, I know there's a decree now, and I don't want to offend anybody, you know. I don't want to give these guys a reason to get me, so I'll close my windows. But he did not let circumstances determine what he would do. What a lesson for us today. So the next day, the other nobles told the king that Daniel had disobeyed the royal decree that they had signed into law. This Daniel doesn't observe what you said in the decree you passed. And the king realizes that he has been tricked. Verse 14. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with who? Himself. He didn't mean to aim something at Daniel or cause Daniel grief. Remember, he was getting ready to promote Daniel over everyone else. Daniel was a valuable asset in his kingdom. Remember that Daniel was going to be put in charge. Verse 3. So Darius was determined to rescue Daniel. He made every effort until sundown to save him. Now what effort might he make? Well, he could call on his wise men and say, look, let's change the law. Let's get around this law I passed. Tried, tried to think of anything, but there was no wiggle room. The Bible says that Daniel was cast into the den of lions. The king even said, Daniel... Does the God whom you serve continually, will he be able to keep you? Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. And I want to point out here, there were three groups that were actually fasting that night. One was Daniel. He was in the lion's den. He wasn't eating anything. The king was fasting because... He was praying and, you know, hoping things worked out good for Daniel. And the third, the lions. You got it. The lions, they were fasting that night too. So the king then rose up early in the morning and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king said, and notice his words, Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you've served continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And he waited for the response. Verse 21 and following, Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him, meaning God. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. When it says no injury was found on him, it reminds me of the three Hebrew friends coming out of the fiery furnace. And when they examined him, there was no hair burned on their bodies. The smell of smoke was not on them. Picture in your mind the scene when these young men come out and they're sniffing them to see what they smell like. No smell of smoke or fire. Daniel comes out, no hurt on him. No scratches, no black and blue marks, no abrasion. Are you sure they aren't on you somewhere? And now in verse 24, the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. The fast was over, wasn't it? Them, their children and their wives and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever reached the bottom of the den. Well, it wasn't that the lions weren't hungry. The lions could not hurt Daniel because God's angels were standing guard over him. 
The Bible says that God's angels protected Daniel. Those fellows that tricked the king and wanted Daniel gone, their probation had run out. They didn't know it. Daniel came out of the lion's den, and they went in. Verse 28. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. No matter what happened to Daniel, he was blessed because he walked with God. Amen? What a testimony for us. What are some of the prophetic implications in this story that maybe we overlook and take for granted? Well, here we go. The majority and the minority issue. Did the majority conspire against Daniel? Yes, indeed. Out of 121 leaders, Daniel was chosen, and 120 are against him. So the majority are against him. According to the Bible, when Darius planned to set Daniel over all the others because of his exceptional qualities, it angered the other leaders and they plotted against him. Daniel 6, verse 4. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He was careful about the details also. In the army, they call this attention to detail. The majority versus the minority. Did Jesus predict that these things would come to pass at the end of time? That this would be something that his followers would have to deal with? Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are how many that find it? Few. Few that find it. According to Jesus, that's the way it will be. Are there other statements? Yes, there are lots of statements about the end of time and the majority versus the minority issue. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice what? Lawlessness, transgression of the law. That's interesting, lawlessness. And then Luke 17, verse 26, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, mentioned that in the Sabbath school lesson, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. It gives that illustration of Noah. So I asked the question, did the majority get into the boat? There were only eight in the boat. The minority were saved. The majority perished on the outside. So the same thing that happened to Daniel, it will happen at the end of time. At the cross of Jesus, what did the majority say? Crucify him, crucify him, Luke 23, 21. They crucified the Lord of glory. The minority believed he was the Messiah and their Savior. What will the majority be doing just before the second coming? Does the Bible tell us? Revelation 13, 8. Speaking of the beast and the false image, the beast sets up all who dwell on the earth, not half of those who dwell on the earth, but all will worship him. That's the false beast in his image, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So what happened to Daniel will be repeated at the end of time. That's one of the things that we can learn from this chapter prophetic implications. Was the law of God mentioned as a factor in conspiring against Daniel? 
Yes, it's mentioned specifically, Daniel 6, verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for the charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. That's an issue with Daniel. Daniel wasn't about to bow down to the ruler and worship him. God's people must take a stand. The three Hebrew friends didn't want to worship the golden image. Daniel stood up for the law of his God, and they knew he would do that. His enemies thought they had a foolproof plan. Just like Satan, he thinks that he has a foolproof plan for your life. The Bible talks about the end of time. Isaiah 30, verses 9 and 10. This is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who says to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy the seats. People will actually say, tell me what I want to hear. In the end of time, that's what it says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Don't tell me what reality is. I don't want to hear it. In the book of Revelation, you talk about a prophetic implication. Three times God predicts that his people at the end of time will be keeping his commandments. Revelation 12, 17 talks about the remnant church at the end of time keeping his commandments. Two, Revelation 14, 12 is right after the mark of the beast. The beast sets up the false image and everybody bows down to worship. And on the other hand, here's other people that worship God and keep his commandments. Third, Revelation 22, 14 mentions it again. They will have the right to the tree of life, those that keep the commandments of God. Was the law able to be changed in Daniel's story? What does the Bible say? Daniel 6, 12. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Once the law in effect, it cannot be repealed. Now that's an extra detail that's very important in this story of Daniel and the lion's den. Over and over again, it's mentioned. Verses 13 and 14. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. And then all the others came back to the king and say, okay, king, it's sundown. It's the law. You can't change it. Time for the lion's den. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. How many times do I hear today preachers saying, Oh, didn't you know that the law has been changed? They don't say that they will teach their people to steal or kill or commit adultery, but the Sabbath, worshiping on Saturday, that's been changed. Somehow that's been done away with. That's not important anymore. Was the law able to be changed in Daniel's story? No, it wasn't. It was unchangeable. When God gave the Ten Commandments, did he write them with a pencil with a big eraser? No, he wrote them in stone. Are there people today who will teach that God's law has been changed? Sadly, there are many who teach that. In Psalm 89, verse 34, it says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. 
Jesus talked about how long the law will be in existence. And I've talked to some people of some denominations who want to read verse 17, but not verse 18 of Matthew 5. Do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And they say, well, look, the law has been fulfilled. It's now gone. It's been set aside. And I say, you forgot to read verse 18. Verse 18 tells how long God's law will be in existence. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So I ask them, are we still here? Has earth gone away yet? Then the law, including the Sabbath, must still be in effect. What was the role of the law in the story of Daniel? Was the role of the law to save Daniel? Some say in the Old Testament people were saved by the law. Now we're under grace, so we're saved in a different way now. Maybe they haven't read Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about all the people in the Old Testament who were saved by grace. What was the role of the law in the story of Daniel? It condemned Daniel. Does the law condemn? Yes, it does. Yes, the law condemns us because it tells us what sin is. Hasn't that always been the role of the law? To tell us what sin is? Doesn't 1 John 3 verse 4 say that sin is the transgression of the law? All these verses in the Bible talk about God and his unchangeability. You have them on your paper. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Malachi 3, 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. John 10, 35. The scripture cannot be broken. Titus 1, 2. God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18. It was impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How long? Forever. God doesn't change. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variable. There's neither shadow of turning. So how was Daniel saved from the lion's den? By the grace of God. God's power was enacted for Daniel. So God's people throughout history and time are saved by grace. Amen? Is it different today? No. We're still saved by grace today. Was worship an issue in the story of Daniel? Who you worship, what you worship, yes, it was. There was a law saying, you're going to worship the king for 30 days and no one else. Was worship an issue? And will it be an issue at the end of time? Yes, according to the Bible, it will be. There are many prophetic implications in the story of Daniel. Worship God and receive his seal. Worship the beast and get the mark of the beast, according to the Bible. Was there a seal mentioned in the story of Daniel in the lion's den? A seal. Yes, there's a seal mentioned. There's a seal mentioned in Revelation. It talks about God's people being sealed. You either receive the mark of the beast or the seal of God, one or the other. Revelation 7, verse 1 through 3, it talks about the end of time, and the angels are told not to hurt the people until they've sealed the servant of God in their foreheads. You either get one or the other. So what can we learn from these implications to apply to our lives where we live today? Is it legalistic to keep God's commandments and worship God on Saturday? I hear people tell me that. Oh, that's just legalism. You're trying to work your way to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible says in Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 11. It says keeping the Sabbath is actually a sign of salvation by faith. What does the Bible say? Was Daniel called legalistic? I read about Daniel in the lion's den. He's that legalistic person that had to follow God. He's working his way to heaven. Nobody says that. 
They don't think of Daniel that way, and yet they say that about people today if they are trying to follow what God says. Daniel 6.4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Does that have implications for the end of time? Yes, it does. Daniel 9.23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, you are greatly beloved. Gabriel was sent from heaven to stand by Daniel's side and to help him understand things. And the visions that he received and the first thing Gabriel says is, you are greatly beloved by God. Phenomenal. They didn't think of him as legalistic up in heaven, but faithful. And he was blessed in his life. What will Jesus say to the righteous at his coming? You legalistic people, what's wrong with you? Some people would have you believe that. The Bible says that Jesus' words will be, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, but I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Matthew 25. What will Jesus say to the wicked? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's that word again, those who aren't faithful called lawless. Over and over, there are prophetic implications in this story that we all know so well, and yet we take for granted some of the details that are built into this story. Was worshiping God an issue in the story? Yes, it was. We all have choices. Will it be an issue at the end of the time, the mark of the beast or the seal of God? Everyone will have to make a choice, loyalty to God or loyalty to men. Will the death decree at the end of time have anything to do with worship? What does the Bible say? Revelation 13. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The death decree is over worship. It was over worship in the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Over and over, God puts these details and these stories to tell how important it is that we follow him. And be faithful to him. Amen? Then we choose to follow it. What he tells us to do. Will the death decree at the end of time have anything to do with worship? Yes, it will. My appeal today. The prophecies of Daniel were sealed until a certain time in history. The time of the end. Daniel 12 verse 4 says, Daniel shut up the words and sealed the book until the time of the end. Close them so people won't understand them. But at the end of the time, you will begin to understand them. Are we in that time frame now? Yes, we are. God wants us to understand the implications that he has built into these stories. How many of us have heard the story of Daniel and Lions then before today? We all have. All Adventists have heard it. How many of us believe that there are implications that apply to us in that story? They deal with us, and God gives these implications and details to let us know he loves us. He cares about us. He wants to walk with us and preserve us as he preserved Daniel in the lion's den. This is a true story. A few years ago, Jack moved to a new city when he was 35 years old and he needed a job. He had a family with a wife and a young child. He was in the computer sales field, but he was new to this city. He interviewed at several local computer stores. The one that was fairly large at the time offered him a sales position. Store's owners were Mormons, and so the store was closed on Sundays, but Jack was a Seventh-day Adventist. 
He thanked them for their offer, but just wanted to clarify that he could not work from us sundown Friday night till Saturday night sundown because he believed in following the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Sales manager told him they were sorry, but Saturday was their busiest day, so he'd have to work Saturdays if he wanted to work at their store. Jack thanked them and declined their offer. He prayed to God that he would find work and continue to work temporary jobs while he was trying to land a full-time position. About three months later, he got a phone call from Roger, the sales manager, who told him that the sales position was his if he wanted it. He told them yes and reminded them, remember, I'm the guy that doesn't work from Friday night until Saturday night. Well, Roger said, I remembered that, and your work schedule has been approved by everybody, including up to the owner of the store. Normally, you have to work here for several years to get Saturdays off, but I got approval for you. Jack was curious as to why they would hire him now and wouldn't have done it before. So Roger said, well, to be honest, we've been having employee theft or shrinkage at the store, and the owners decided that a person who believed in the fourth commandment would also keep the commandment that says, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> God is faithful. Jack could have easily reasoned that certainly God expected him to be a provider for his family. After all, he needed the job. But no, when we are faithful to him, he is faithful to us. God's picture is very large. Sometimes we're only seeing a small little portion of it. But we need to be faithful, and God will be faithful to us. The book of Revelation is a book of contrasts. The mark of the beast, the seal of the living God, the harlot, the pure woman, the lost, the saved. Over and over it talks about these contrasts throughout the book of Revelation. I encourage you to keep studying the Bible, God's word, especially the books of Daniel and Revelation, because I believe that we're living in the end times and Jesus is coming soon. When you stand accused before the magistrates of today, what will you do? Please stand with me. Tell me that you want to be like Daniel and hang on to God's strong hand of power. And let us turn to 618 as we sing our closing song. Stand up, stand up for 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and how you take care of us no matter what is happening in our life. If we stay faithful to you, help each one of us through the challenges of life that we will be facing this week and this year in our lives and our families that we may stand close to you and stand up for you knowing that you have the ultimate plan that will save us. Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.